0: Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for bringing up those lights, John. It's nice to see faces, and uh, even though they are masked, it's nice to see you guys this morning. My name's Tony Diekman. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, and it's uh, my privilege uh, to share God's Word with you. It's that time in our service there that we start to get into God's Word and kind of unpack it and, and, and see um, what it is that He's trying to teach us today, and we do believe that He's the one that's doing the teaching. Uh, at least that's the plan that he's the one doing the teaching. And so we're actually in a series, this is the fifth week, I think it is, of a series uh, that we're taking a challenge called the Being Challenge. Uh, A pastor named Zach Zender wrote this book and he's challenging everyone to take this challenge of learning how to be with God and, and spend more time with Him and for the purpose of deepening our relationship with Him. And he believes that being with Him is the most important thing for all of our doing for God, all of our living actually flows from our being with god and so we look to spend more time with him so for the purpose of actually looking living loving to be more like jesus again for the purpose of deepening our relationship with him and we've looked to see the importance that community plays in that role that we experience god and actually experience him as a community and we need a diverse community in order to see more aspects of him and last week we, we discovered and we saw and were reminded in some cases that God's word is essential to that relationship, that it's in his word that he actually speaks to us and, and shares with us the truth about him. It's his word to us to reveal his character, his nature, his plan for our life is revealed in his word. And he does that because he, he cares for us. And, and it's as we spend time in that word that he actually changes us. As we spend time in this community, He changes us through the power of his word. And today we're going to look at this practice, this third habit of prioritizing prayer that we see actually in the life of Jesus. All of these habits that we've been looking at, we see exhibited in the life of Jesus. And, And believe it or not, Jesus prioritized prayer. Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, prayed to God the Father. That's wrap your head around that if you can. But he prayed. And really, you think about it if Jesus, the Son of God, prayed, what else do we need to say? But we should pray. We should prioritize prayer, right? I, I really don't need to say anything else today. And I said that at the first service, and somebody stood up over here thinking that I was literal, like what I said, but like he hadn't been here before. But. <laughs> I typically will go longer than that. And, and, and I'd go longer because I need to go longer, what God is doing and, and, and listening to God's word, because it's not just that. He continually reminds us because we are forgetful. I know I am forgetful, and, and prayer is a habit that is, is beneficial. God gives us the ability to communicate with Him. It's for our benefit, what God does. What we see over and over again is what he's done is for our good, for our benefit. And so we pray because Jesus prayed, but we pray because he is working. And it's an opportunity, it's a gift that we can actually communicate with the God of the universe. Like, how remarkable is that when you stop and think about it? So let's pause for a minute and think about that as we pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you would actually go to the lengths of communicating with us, that you would communicate in a way that we could understand through our language. We thank you for the gift of those around the world to keep translating your word into different languages so others around the planet can hear your word in their own language. Father, we ask your continued blessing upon that work, that that would continue until your son comes back. But this morning we ask you to communicate in our language that, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be clear, that we could understand this language, that what I teach would be your words, that you would mold us, shape us more into the image of your Son through the power of your Holy Spirit by the, and through your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let me ask you guys a question. Um, do you guys ever remember being taught your first word? No one? No one ever remembered being taught your first word? Who here, whose first language is English? That was your original language, right? Anybody else have a different language that was their original language? No one? Oh, Anita. What was your original language, Anita? It was German, right? Yeah, it was German. So it wasn't English. So you had to be taught English at a later age, right? But in your original language... Do you remember being taught your first word or how to speak? And we don't, right? I was reading a book. It's by Eugene Peterson. You know, he's the guy that paraphrased the scriptures into the message, right? And, and so he wrote this in his book, Working the Angles. He says, because we learn language so early in our lives, we have no memory of the process. And so we grow up and we think that it had to do with us, right? That, that really learning language was a thing that we did. But it, it really isn't. He goes on to say this. Um, he goes on to say, language is spoken into us. He says, we learn language only as we are spoken to. And then we are plunged at birth into a sea of language. Then slowly, syllable by syllable, we acquire the capacity to answer. Mommy and daddy and bottle and blanket and yes and no. I think he's got that in the wrong order. I think no is like the first word, right? <laughs> Not one of these words was a first word. All speech is answering speech. We were all spoken to before we spoke. We spoke because we were first spoken to. And researchers show us that, that children actually, actually absorb a lot more than you think. And, and it has a huge impact on the amount of words and the breadth of the vocabulary that you speak to your children. And researchers have found that children learn best through stories. Not surprising, right? I mean, we just sort of like, we do that. But words are important because it not only teaches them speech, but it teaches them who they are through language. It's communicated who they are, right? So as parents, right, you are the key. You are the key to your child's first words, to understanding the language, understanding who you are, mommy and daddy, and understanding who they are, and understand that they can say no, I mean, they learn that from you. Words are powerful, it's, but they have to be taught. They have to be spoken for you to understand them. He, Peterson goes on to explain that just like we are taught language, prayer, he, he says prayer is a language that originates and initiates in God. He goes on to say this, it's essential, therefore, to practice the practice of prayer that we recognize what he calls the overwhelming previousness of God's speech to our prayers. He's saying the theological principle has practical consequences. It means that our prayers should arise out of immersion in the scriptures, out of God speaking to us. Do you start to see how all these habits are interconnected. You know, it's our study of Scripture teaches us who God is, but it also informs us who we are. But primarily, it's, it's speaking words to us. And that happens in prayer. Our prayers are actually praying the language that God speaks to us. And we pray that back to him. And, and, and when we do so, it changes us. It shapes us. It, it informs us. There's a previousness to our prayers, if it is indeed prayer, that is informed by God's word, and it doesn't originate in us. Are you following with me? Jesus himself, as we say, is the target. Jesus himself prayed. He prayed a lot. And if he's the target, and we're... We're, we're actually practicing the same habits that Jesus practiced, and we should learn from him. And what we learn from him in Scripture is that he, often, he got up early in the morning. Early in the morning, he said his whole day, before while it was still dark, he would go out into a solitary place, and he would pray. So Jesus prayed early. It's a way to just orient your day. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and before you even think, the alarm clock goes off and your feet hit the floor and you're off on your day. Praying early in the morning helps orient those first steps, helps orient your heart. And we see that in the life of Jesus. Before everybody was up, Jesus himself, the Son of God, was praying early. Not only was he praying early, but we're told that he prayed often. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It wasn't just something he did when, when things got tough. It was, thing, it was something that he did all the time. I mean, he prayed when, when he gave out the five, to fed the 5,000. He prayed for, the, for Lazarus to be raised from the dead. He prayed for instruction. He prayed for encouragement. He prayed for strength. Jesus prayed all the time. He prayed continuously. And, and it makes sense, doesn't it? At least it, it, it should make sense. I mean, think about it. Before he came to earth, he was with the Heavenly Father in heaven. And, and they were together, like, all the time, right? I mean, I assume they were together all the time. And, and they, were, they, were con- they were conversing all the time. So why should that change? Because he comes to earth. Why should it change? Don't you, wouldn't you expect Jesus to continue to have a conversation with his heavenly father? His pro, Where he is shouldn't make a difference. And you know, when my kids all went to college, I sat every one of them down, every single one of them, before they went off to school, and I had the same speech. I said, your mother has seen you and spoken to you most every day of your life. Going to college should not change that. Call your mother. And, and they do. They, they don't call her every day. They used to call her almost every day. But they, don't, they call her several times a week. They don't call me, but they call their mother. I didn't tell them to call me, did I? <laughs> but they do. They call their mother all the time. Why should your proximity change? Why would we expect anything different from Jesus? And, and if we're going to be like Jesus, why would, it, why would it matter? I mean, Scripture tells us to pray. Jesus instructs us to pray. And so we pray. And so today what I want to do is answer these three questions. I know there are more questions about prayer, but these are the three that I thought we'd tackle, you know, kind of keep it in the box. Like, what is prayer? How should we pray? And, and what should we pray for? I don't know, maybe you have those questions, maybe you have those questions answered, and, and, and you can help me. So what is prayer? What is prayer? Chances are, if I ask you to write down on a sheet of paper, what is prayer, I'd probably get back as many descriptions as there are people here in this room. I would get different answers from everyone. And just go online and and, and check with the Google and see what the Google says to you about prayer. Uh, I did that. And here's what some of the answers the Google gave me. It says, prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God or the requesting of good things from God. Another one said, prayer is our direct line with heaven. Prayer is a communication process that allows us to talk to God. It's like a walkie-talkie, right? And prayer is talking to God. It's our way of communicating our thoughts, our needs, and our desires of him. Okay, that's like one, like one view, kind of like together, right? It's us communicating to God what we need. right? Now, here's where it changes. Prayer is a spiritual communication between man and God. A two-way relationship in which man should not only talk to God, but also listen to him. So this, this one says, no, and it's not just a monologue, it's actually a dialogue. And another one says the same thing. Prayer is giving our attention to God in a two-way spiritual relationship where he talks, where we talk to God and also listen to him. So some think it's just us talking to God, others think it's, you no, know, there's this conversation between us and God. And so I thought we'd use a working definition in, in one of the Bible dictionaries that I use. And, and this is what Eerdman's Bible dictionary says of prayer. It says any form of communication with God, any form, could be spoken out loud. It could be spoken in your head. It could be something that you can't even think of or express, but is you something that you're desiring in your heart or something you're trying to express, but you can't put words to. Sometimes it's song. Right? The words we just sang could, could be seen as prayer. Any form of communication with God, not with just anybody. It's not just throwing the words out there with anybody, but throwing them out there with God, the God of the Bible, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's communication with Him. Right? On the part of believing people, prayer is a communication. Between God and the believing people that we see in Scripture, Jesus even said, the reason you don't understand me is that you're you're not my father's children. I know who your father is, and your father is not God. That's the reason you don't believe me. That's the reason you don't know who I am. Prayer is a language between the believer, those who have faith in Jesus that he's given that faith to, and God. That is prayer. Prayer. Any form of communication with the one true living God, between God and that believer, in response to situations that may arise in life, Uh, uh, simply like to reality. Like, what what are you dealing with? Not to make-believe situations or hypothetical, but actually actually help you and communicate as you actually go through life, as you deal with the things of your life, the day-to-day aspects of your life. Prayer is a part of that life that you would communicate with God. Why would it change because you're going through something good or you're going through a struggle? Why why would the circumstances change communicating with God? It shouldn't. Your communication with God isn't affected by proximity, and it's not affected by your circumstances. It's something that we do at all times, in all circumstances, in all ways. And in God's character, we know that it's, it's, it's for our good. Here's here's what I would say about prayer. It's like prayer is a dialogue between God and his children that is initiated, informed, and shaped by God through his word. Our prayer has a previousness to it, right? And it's formed and shaped by his word. That's what prayer is. Prayer is, is communicating with God, trying to understand who God is and who I am and how I move throughout my day and how he can help me, shape me, mold me, shape me, not just for me, but for others as well. Paul says this in Romans, he says, so don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. The one that we pray to, the one that we look to, the one that we are informed by, the one that actually changes us and and transforms our mind is God himself. It's his word. So be transformed by the renewal of your mind and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect will. How many times have you said and are asked, I've heard, asked numerous times, what is God's will? What is God's will? God reveals his will to you in his word. It forms and shapes you. It actually shapes your prayers and informs and initiates your prayers. That's what prayer is. And God uses it mightily in his community with his children. And so today we're going to look at a model of that prayer, a model of prayer that Jesus himself taught called the Lord's Prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer because Jesus the Lord taught it. And we're using Matthew's gospel because I believe it it gives us some background that I think is essential for us to understand and answer these questions. But Luke's gospel also records a version of this prayer, and Luke's gospel has something in it that that Matthew's gospel does not and when we get there, I'll share that. Jesus is, is talking with his disciples, and there's Pharisees praying, and they're praying, and you hear Jesus talking, if you remember what was said, that they're babbling on, and they're using a great many words, and they're doing it, So other people see them praying. Right? I mean, they're praying out loud. They're praying with a lot of words, and they're doing so in the view of everyone, so everyone knows just how religious I am. Right? And Jesus is like, wrong motivation. Wrong way to pray. Right? He goes on to say this. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is talking about the motivation for prayer. Remember, the motivation for prayer isn't just to get something from God. The motivation for prayer is relationship, is desiring to know God for who he is. That's his desire, is that we would come to know him. Not for what we get from him, but that we could come to worship him and love him for who he is in himself, not for what he gives us. Right? The, work of, the work of couples in marriage, the work in relationships, of all relationships, really, to experience true love is when you experience someone loving you for who you are, not for what you give them, or not for what they can get from you, right? but actually loving them for who they are and, and, and all that they are. I mean, that's something that God does for us. Right? We read over and over again that he loves us just as we are. He loves us for who we are, not by, for what we do for him or, or what we haven't done for him. He loves us for who we are. And the same thing is true here. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. When you go to pray to your heavenly father, go with that motivation. Go with the motivation to know God, to seek him, and to know him better. And you know what will happen? He'll give you what you, what you need he will reward you, and he will will help you understand more of who he is. If you seek him for the purpose of understanding him, he's going to show up every time. That's the motivation for which we should pray. That is one of the answers to how we should pray. But in Luke's gospel, we see that the disciples turn to Jesus, and they say, "Well, well, master, teacher, teach us to pray like we've seen you pray. We see you pray all the time, so teach us. And so Jesus' response to that is, okay, here's how you should pray. And he goes on to say this. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's here in this prayer that we learn how to pray, but also, I think, what to pray for. He teaches us how to pray with the right motivation. And here he teaches us how to pray by informing us of who God is, right? God is our Father. He is our Father. He, is, he isn't just this distant being. He's not this uninterested deity that exists, that just is. But he's a relational being. And, and Jesus says he's our Father, He's not just my father, he's our father. That word, our, is a plural word, meaning he is our father, those who are children of God, those who have faith in him. He's your father, too. He's a relational God. And he's your father. But he goes on to say that he's not just any father, he is the holy father, he is completely other than. He is completely perfect, without sin, always living up to every obligation. That's who he is. When we pray, we recognize who he is. We acknowledge who he is. We give him glory. He is the one that created us. He is the one that gives us the permission and the opportunity to call him Father. It's a reminder of who God is. And then he goes on to tell us that not only is he holy, but his name is hallowed. His kingdom is hallowed. His will is hallowed. Everything about him is other than. Everything about him is holy. His name, it's not just Jesus' name is holy, but everything that that name conveys about him His will is perfect. His kingdom is perfect. And his desire to bring that kingdom through Jesus into this world. Everything that we pray and how we should pray is first and foremost recognizing who we're praying to and and what are his characteristics and what is his character and nature. It's an acknowledgement of who he is. And at the same time, it's an acknowledgement that I'm not him. All right, it's an acknowledgement that if left to my will, I'll establish my kingdom and my ways and try to establish heaven here in my way. Right, but left to our own hearts, left left to our own wills, that's what we'll do. So we have to turn to his word to be informed by his will for our life. Because his will is perfect. His kingdom is perfect, his plan is perfect. Timothy Keller says this, he says, without immersion in God's word, our prayers may not be merely limited and shallow, but also tethered from reality. We may be responding not to the real God, but to what we wish God and life to be like. If we pray just in our own desires and our own cares, that then it can easily become untethered, he says, from reality, from God's will for our life. And so we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will, in accordance with his word. Our prayers are informed, initiated, and shaped by the word of God. That is how we pray, acknowledging who God is, which informs who I am, which reminds me I really want his will in my life and not my own. Because if left to my own, I see where that ends a lot. And so he not only wants to shape our lives, he wants to shape our prayer. He wants to speak his words into us, to teach us his words. He goes on in Matthew to say this, Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, here I believe he answers the question as to what should we pray for. And he says we should pray for our daily bread, for what we need daily. And he does so, not so much that we have to pray to get it, but we pray to be reminded that he has already provided what we need before we have ever asked. The air that we breathe, the ground that we walk on, the fact that we can stay connected to the ground, the fact that we're absolutely alive, the reason you're alive is because God has given you life. The reason you are here is because God created you to be here. Your life is a gift and should be treasured. The rain that comes down that waters the ground, those are all gifts from God. And this praying for daily bread is a reminder that he is the one, he is the good giver of all gifts. And he does so even before we pray. But we also pray for daily bread Because it is good for us to have sustenance, it's good for us to have a home, it is good for us to have the things that we need to support ourselves and our family and to do good in the world. The writer of Proverbs says this, he says, Give me neither poverty poverty, nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of the Lord. St. Augustine summarizes it this way. He says, Lord, meet my material needs and give me wealth, yes, but only as much as I can handle without it harming my ability to put you first in my life because ultimately I don't need status and comfort. I need you as my Lord. Augustine is saying, it is good to ask for things. It is good to ask for wealth, but be careful. Ask for what the Lord desires you to have. Ask him to give you what you need. You know, I've heard people say, like, pray and ask God for the desires of your heart, for anything that you want. Jesus always said, pray in my name. Pray in my will. Pray in my character. And I will give you what you need. But people have taken it too far and said, whatever your heart's desire. And it's like, really? Our hearts all over Scripture tell us that can deceive us. It is only God's will, it's only his desire that is perfect. I've heard some people say, well, you can, can prayer change God's mind? And my point is, why would you want to change God's mind? If his will is perfect and his love for you is true, would you not want his will in your life? Why would you ever want to change his mind? Seriously. I understand But if he is who he says he is, and I believe he is, then why would you want to change God's mind? Why would you not pray for what he desires in your life? But that takes practice. That takes repetition. That takes him informing you who he is. That's why we need to spend time in Scripture and and really understand and trust in the character of God and actually take little steps toward him and let him prove to us every day that he is faithful, that he is who the Scriptures say he is. And that happens one step, one little step at a time. As we pray every day, as we pray in all situations, he informs us, he shares his character with us, and he molds and shapes us and and gives us trust in him. But that all begins with him and his ways and his will. And so, Lord, give me what I need. Yes, give me wealth, but give me only what I can handle. And so, Jesus is very clear how we should pray and what we should pray for. We should, again, pray for what God desires in our lives. Pray for our daily bread. Pray for what is we would what we need and what we want, and let him sort it out. And he goes on to say, then, forgive one another your debts as, as you have forgiven them, right? It's like, so he… In in the writer of Colossians, Paul says this. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. What Jesus is saying here is that it's not that you you, you will get forgiven only if you forgive others. He's saying, no, you have already been forgiven and you will experience that forgiveness as you forgive. You will experience the life of Jesus when you forgive someone that doesn't, in your estimation, deserve it. But again, neither did you. You will experience what it is to give forgiveness. And in doing so, your own forgiveness becomes more secure in your own mind because you experience what it's like to be Jesus and to forgive someone because you have been forgiven. It's a reminder of who Jesus is. What should we pray for? We should pray for the heart to forgive others as we have been forgiven. That's God's will. That's his perfect will. And, and then it's no surprise, I think, that he goes on to say, then, then lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Right, It's a reminder, right, because we hold back forgiveness from people because we believe they're the enemy, that they're the ones we're struggling against. But remember, earlier this year we taught through Ephesians, and what Paul tells us is that they're not the evil ones. They're not who we're fighting against, our brothers and sisters, the people on the other side of the political aisle, the people on the other side of the socioeconomic problem. They're not the enemy. But there is an enemy, and he's real, And he is working in this world against you and against God's plan. And the way he does it is it gets you to point the finger at somebody else and make them the problem. And and Jesus said, remember, they're not the problem, right? The problem is there's an enemy working. And he's still working in you and, and convincing you that you can fix it, that they're the problem. Jesus goes on to say this in John. He says, my Father's will is that everyone, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. God's will, his desire is that all men would come to a saving faith in Jesus. Jesus is saying, but there's someone else who has another will, and his will is that everyone would look at, on Jesus would reject him and understand that they could be their own king. They could find their own way. And they could actually make heaven on earth with all the right things, with all the right friends, in all the right places. And Jesus is saying, that just isn't so. There's one king, one kingdom. His will is perfect. It's always other-centered. It's always in your best interest. The enemy, he just wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he'll do it by whatever means necessary using you in the, in the meantime. This what we pray for is God's will in our life. What we pray for is that his will would take shape in our life and we do that as we're informed by what is written here in the text. By what God teaches us over and over and over again. And I know that that's a struggle to pray and I know it's a struggle to try to even understand what to pray for or how to pray and do I even have the ability to do that Or to even be transformed. And and, and Paul again reminds us in Romans chapter 8 that absolutely. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in you, that you are not your own. You've been claimed and marked with the Holy Spirit. And that He's there, as Jesus said, to, to remind you of all truth and to lead you in all truth, to be your counselor. And Paul goes on to say that He doesn't, He prays for us. He says, We don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Spirit does, and that Spirit lives in you. And he is the one that will lead you into all truth, and he is the one that will teach you God's will, and he is the one that will inform your prayers. And in some cases, he is the one that will actually pray on your behalf. When you can't put words into into words, when when you can't put your thoughts into words, words into words, you can't put your thoughts into words. The Holy Spirit knows what you need. And he will pray on your behalf because he knows God's will. And his will is that you would come to know him for who he is. The loving father that he is. God's plan is that that you would pray for his will to be done in your life because he is the true perfect God. And he calls you to pray for what you need in his will that you you would look to him for your sustenance. That you would Pray to him for these things so that you could be reminded again that he is the one that is the provider of everything that you have, not just some things. But I know that leaves some with the question, so I only pray for God's will. I never, you know, like tell him other things, like, like I'm afraid or I'm scared or I'm doubting. Well, no, he tells us to do that too. Actually, in Peter, in his letter, in his letter, his first letter, in Peter 5, verse 7, it says this Cast all your anxieties on him. Cast all your worries, cast all your cares, cast all your fears, cast all your doubts. Cast it all on God. All of it. There's no care, there's no worry, there's no fear, too big that he can't handle. There's nothing that you're going through right now that he doesn't want to know. I tell you, I, I don't get to see my kids every day. I get to talk to them, less than my wife gets to talk to them, but I, don't get, I talk to them and I cherish the time I talk with them. I want to know not just the good things that are going on in their life, but their challenges going on in their life. I want to know why, because I love them. How much more do you think your heavenly Father wants to hear from you? I mean, he knows those thoughts, but he calls you to pray for them so that you know that He knows to remind you that he sees you as you are. There's nothing you need to hide from him. said it before, there's nothing you're going to say, think, or do that is going to surprise him. There's nothing too big, but also there's nothing too small. There's nothing so inconsequential that he doesn't want to hear. Why? Because he cares for you. That's why. Because he is the good Father. Because he is your heavenly Father. Because he created you to live in a relationship with you. And one of the ways that he continues to communicate that to you and and instill that into your heart, not just your mind, is through prayer. As you immerse yourself in his word and in the community of God, he informs your prayers, he informs, informs your thoughts. And he makes them bigger than you could ever imagine them to be. He makes those God sized prayers. And he, living in you, can bring those to be. But he calls us to pray. If we're going to follow Jesus and be like Jesus, we need to commit. We need to commit to being persistent in prayer, being persistent and, and continually. Immersing ourselves in God's word and having that word inform our heart and our minds and our prayers so that He could mold and shape us, so that He could deepen His relationship with us, and that as a result of that, others could come to know Him through us. I pray that you would prioritize prayer in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you once again for your word. May we not take that word for granted. It is living and active and and it is moving. And in that word is power. Father, may we not take this word for granted. May we not take the opportunity to communicate with you, to express our heart, to open up our life to you. So, Father, right now we open our lives to you. You know our hearts, you know how we deceive ourselves. Father, I ask that you would grant us wisdom, that you would increase our faith. And we continue to pray to you using the prayer that your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us